Hey, 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 welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car? You are listening to episode 153, and today I am Bro Lady, and I am throwing it back to episode 61 with an incredible guest, Caroline Boudreau. Caroline is here hanging out with the bros, discussing her foundation, the Miracle Foundation. Caroline is sharing her heart for the orphan, and she knew that starting something so big was going to take a miracle. Listen for ways that you can partner with Caroline in the Miracle foundation and just enjoy this throwback to a really great episode we'll see you back here next week for a new episode with our favorite bros hello and welcome to the who's driving your car podcast where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life but also the great views and experiences along the way do you drive in the fast lane like my wife or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear you only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! What's crack a liking podcast world? Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 61. Sesenta y uno. Ah! On today's cast, we have a special guest with us. We're very excited and looking forward to it. We have Caroline Boudreaux, who's actually a native of Lake Charles, so we're really happy to have one of our own here joining us, um, but has done some some big things uh, worldwide. So I think everyone will should buckle up to listen in this go around she a few little tidbits and we'll get into more of this but is the um founder of the miracle foundation um she has a pretty neat little background and story which led her to where she is and what she's doing she's also been recognized as one of 200 global leaders back in 09 she got the humanitarian award uh, from the united nations in 2017 and I really think what I've been reading and learning about um, Caroline is uh, and talking to John a little bit about it because uh, he's kind of been influential in getting her on here is she really does uh, meet our mission of motivating and inspiring others with the work that she does. So welcome aboard, Caroline. We're happy to have you. Thanks, y'all. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, and also I saw out there that you got a cool nickname, the Cajun Firecracker, huh? They do. They call me, you know, wherever I go in the world, people are just like, where are you from with that accent? You know, I don't think I have an accent, but everybody around the world thinks I have this accent. So I just, I just tell them I'm a Cajun. Hey, there you go. A Cajun firecracker. I like that. It looks like, it, looks like yeah. it's stuck somewhere along the way. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, also I we want to get our South Louisiana traditions around the world. It's really, it's really great. That's fantastic. Also, we need to give a shout out to uh, Chris McCall. Chris is the reason why uh, we discovered Caroline and had her on. Uh, he called me out of the blue one day and said, you know, I have this lady that I know that uh, I think would be a good match for what y'all are doing. Um, so he told me a little bit about her and I said, yeah, it sounds great. If you had some contact with her, let's see if she'll come on board. And she graciously accepted um, I called Chris uh, whenever we got closer to the record date and said, hey, Chris, uh, give me some inside baseball. Give me some scoop on uh, 
Miss Boudreau here, and uh, he was a perfect gentleman. He wouldn't tell me anything about you, but he did tell me some secrets about <laughs> your sister, Claire. So maybe we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we can talk about her anytime you want. Her story's good. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're really excited to, uh, to do this. Um, I'm really glad to be here. And, you know, I, I love the topic of the who's driving your car because uh, when you let God drive your car, he sure takes you to interesting places. He sure he takes you to places you've never been and places you never really wanted to go and places you never knew that you know, you could be. It's, it's really been an incredible journey. That's awesome. And, and like I said, I really think that uh, it's going to be a great day ahead for us here um, in our little chat. And look, Caroline, before we delve into to some of your, uh, what I call fly happenings, cool stuff you got going on, we play a little um, weekly kind of warm up, getting into it. We do it ourselves, do it with the guests, and that is the Would You Rather game. And so John's got it this week. Craig and I have no idea. And really when John runs it here, just no telling where this thing's gonna go. So he's gonna throw it out there. And being our guest, we're gonna let you take the first shot at it if you think you can handle Uh-oh. it. Uh-oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caroline, you ready for this? I think I'm ready. Would you rather Thibodeau or Boudreaux jokes? No, that one's just a joke. You don't have to answer <laughs> that one. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, would you rather? Seafood gumbo or chicken and sausage gumbo? Ooh, that's uh, chicken and sausage gumbo, hands down. Oh, <laughs> that was a quick answer. You know, quick. I'm with you on that for the most part. Um, I cook a lot of gumbos, as these two guys know. 100% uh, of the time, it's chicken and sausage, so I get a lot of that. But whenever I go to certain places around town, uh, I'm going to have some seafood gumbo, like at Seafood Palace. They make a really good gumbo. Oh, man. So... Um, for the most part, I'm a chicken and sausage guy too. But every now and then, whenever I know they have the really a really good touch with it, I'm gonna jump over and have a little seafood. Yeah, yeah. Is there any That's reason the why we have the aversion to the seafood, allergic or anything like that, or we're just no go? I don't know. I just like the chicken and sausage. I just, you know, I really kind of try to stay away from meat for the most part. But I will definitely. Pray <laughs> for that. That's where we splurge. Okay. Yeah. What do you think, Cece? Yeah, I'm going to go chicken and sausage gumbo as well. Um, it's the more traditional version. I think it's awesome. Steve actually makes it a great chicken and sausage gumbo and introduced us to putting the sweet potato in the gumbo. That's yeah. true. Have you tried sweet potato? No, yeah, we do potato salad. Yes, well, we do too. My family most potato salad, but a sweet potato is just enough oh. sweet to balance the saltiness of the, and it's just, it complements it really well. Matt, not so excited about right. it. <laughs> But we thought it was I'm really I'm totally gonna do it. Yeah, try it. A little half I'm a sweet totally potato. Gonna do it. It's awesome. Well, that's what happened yeah. with me. I was going home for lunch one day and I was discussing this with one of my patients and she was like, Oh baby, you gonna put a sweet potato in there? And I said, uh, no, I was planning on putting rice and she said, uh, oh, you gotta try sweet potatoes. And after one try, that was it. If I'm at home I'm having sweet potatoes. Okay. It's amazing. Well, who knew? I, I thought we were so Radical doing potato salad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Take it a step further. How about you, hot dog? Yeah. I'm going with the seafood pretty easily. I, I like both. I'm good with both, but I'm a pretty big seafood fan in general. And I'm kind of with John. Maybe that's because we don't have it as much. Um, when it, when you go to get gumbo somewhere, it's not as often on the menu. So I'm going to go that direction, but I can't really complain either way. I'd be happy either style. I will say the sweet potatoes, well, I probably need more than one time to get used to that. <laughs> 
Well, hot dog is not a very big uh, connoisseur of food. He thought it was chicken most of the time that he was eating it, so it took a while for him to even figure out that he was eating sweet potatoes. <laughs> I'm more eat to live than live to eat, so uh, <laughs> that does go into that. But John does make a very good gumbo. Maybe next time you make your way. Do you make your way down to Lake Charles that often? I do. My dad lives at the veranda. And oh, so I go yeah. I'm right yeah. out there in Greywood, girl, so we're not far from each other whenever you make your way. Yes, yeah, so definitely go see dad or- you know, every quarter. Oh, good. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear that. We appreciate you hopping in with the little game. Um, I think a cool place to start, Caroline, would be for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what the foundation's about, what y'all have going. I think we've got some specific questions of the story of how it started and all that's pretty cool. But why don't you just first tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I grew up in a small Catholic family, just the nine of us. <laughs> and, you know, grew up in Lake Charles, grew up in Lake Charles, you know, just, uh, just everybody was Catholic. Everybody I knew was Catholic. My, you know, parents, grandparents, all our cousins, we had this huge, huge family. My, both my parents came from big families. And so, um, grew up, went to parochial school. I mean, really loved my childhood. I was so blessed to have not a lot of, it wasn't like that we were wealthy, but we were rich in love and and this culture that we have in South Louisiana, you know, like, you know, just the, 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 the Christmases and Easter's and just that rich culture that I got to experience. It was just a great, great way to grow up. And, and um, then I went to uh, college in, uh, at Louisiana Tech and then ended up in Austin as soon as I could possibly get there because I thought Austin was such a cool place to live, you know, live music capital of the world and I just love music and I spent a lot of time there. And so, yeah, I, uh, I was just one of the lucky ones, I guess. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. You spread your wings pretty early. And then was it you got into, was TV advertising? That That's what I was reading about. And I think John had mentioned when y'all had discussed a little bit when, where you first got started career-wise. Right. Well, I had gotten a degree in, in biology with a minor in, I mean, a psychology with a minor in biology. And I was really interested in that nature versus nurture thing. You know, like what part of our life, who are we and are we born into who we are? Are we just born who we are? Or do, do we get nurtured into who we are? I was really interested in that question. So um, uh, the University of Texas at Austin had that degree and I went there to get, I went there to go to college and get that uh, oh, okay, advanced cool. degree. I didn't get it. I didn't get into <laughs> the program. I didn't get into the program. I couldn't believe it. So, but I, I was so disappointed with well, my, my boyfriend at the time said, Caroline, you know, you really ought to get into sales. I mean, you just have the personality of a salesperson. I didn't want to be in sales. I wanted to be a researcher. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to just study, but, um, I ended up getting into sales and I ended up going into sales for this, this two engineers who had just put the wiring together for a little TV station in Austin. So they were doing the front, they were doing the back end, like the engineering accounting. And I came in as their salesperson and started trying to sell advertising. And I mean, we had like, 10 or 12 viewers. It was, it was great. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was a little TV station. I mean, it's like, you almost had to see the satellite to catch the station, you know, but, but uh, we ended up getting bought by the CBS affiliate in Austin and I had part of the company. So I did pretty well there. And then wow. we ended up getting, um, we ended up getting uh, bought by uh, Fox in 1995. And so I, I still had a piece of the company there. So I, I was I was on the ride. I mean, it was it was really enjoyable. But every time I kept you know getting money, and you know I told you we didn't grow up rich, 
but we didn't grow up wealthy, but we grew up rich in, the, in culture and everything. But once I started getting some zeros on the paycheck, I really just thought, gosh, I should be happier. I should be more fulfilled. I mean, I had everything that money could buy, but it just was not filling me up. I just, I couldn't really, it was an interesting, it was an interesting dilemma. And then the more corporate we got, the more I hated it. I really liked the scrappy entrepreneurial. I love the entrepreneur figure it out on the fly kind of thing. And, and the corporate culture just was not for me where, you know, you, you just feel like you're actually, I mean, you know, punching a time clock or something. It was just really bad. So like you do in Austin, Texas, you go to happy hour with your friends and start drinking margaritas. <laughs> yeah. and, and my friend and I, my best friend and I just, we just decided just like, let's just quit this job sell off our stock and let's just take a trip around the world for a year just for fun let's do it this is back in 1999 and so we stopped and got a bottle of wine went to her house spread this world map on the floor and started picking the countries that we were going to see that we were going to go to on this one year trip around the world chasing wow. summer right chasing summer exactly yeah epic it was gonna be <laughs> sounds be amazing epic. That's yeah, I mean, these two single girls on this, you know, trip around the world. I mean, they they never saw us coming. <laughs> so uh, she we so we started picking the countries we wanted to see. We didn't want to do Europe because we had both done Europe and we thought Europe was pretty easy to get to. So we wanted to see like things we couldn't see, you know, on a regular two week vacation once we got back to the real world. You only have a year. So one, so. one year. <laughs> I was so great. So she wanted to go to India to meet a boy that she had been sponsoring through the Christian Children's Fund. And she showed me his picture and she's all in love with this kid. And the whole time she's telling about this kid, I'm thinking, oh my God, Chris, they saw you coming a mile away. That kid isn't real. I mean. <laughs> they just getting your money you know every month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they give everybody the same picture. Don't you know that? <laughs> but. But she loved him and she wanted to go see him. But so that's how, that's why we ended up going to India. But we started off in, in Cape Town, South Africa. So we started off really pretty far away. Yeah. And um, we started our trip in January of 2000 and started traveling around the world together. Just two fun, great, best friends just traveling around the world together. And so um, we got to India in May and got our dream of chasing summer, John, because it was 119 degrees. There you go, John. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah I mean, also, even for a girl from Louisiana, that is hot. Yeah. Yeah. And so we ended up going to uh, this state, one state south of Calcutta on the eastern side. So really a remote place. Not, not, there's no reason for a Westerner to go there. It's not a, it's not a tourist destination. So we ended up going to this really remote village we get paraded. We're like 45 minutes off this paved road. We get, we end up at this village. We get paraded through this village with all these villagers lining the streets. We're paraded through this village. And at the end of this parade is this little boy holding the first picture that Chris had ever sent. Wow. Wow. He was real. That's incredible. And they promised him clean water and electric power and free primary education. And, and sure enough, he was getting all, all of those things. It was really incredible. I couldn't believe he was real. And, seeing the, the that level of poverty you know um you know they call it dirt poor it's dirt floor poor they live on a dirt floor that's what dirt poor means they live on a dirt floor they shared a room with their cow because he was such a 
a valuable possession for them. Mm-hmm. And um, so we started doing work in the in the village all day. We didn't know what the heck to do. So we just ended up like getting tires and building a playground, kind of building like a, an obstacle course for the kids. And then um, one day um, uh, we got invited by a local to his house for dinner the next day. And I didn't know when we agreed to go to dinner at that guy's house that my life was going to change forever because of it. You just, you just never know when that aha moment's going to happen for you. Sure. Wow. So we, um, we, um, it was uh, May the 14th of 2000. It was a Sunday, not Sunday. I got up in the morning. I called my mom for Mother's Day because it was Mother's Day in the United States. Got up early, called mom, went and worked in the village in that 119 degree heat all day building <laughs> that uh, obstacle course for the kids. And then went to this guy's house for dinner and um, walked into his orphanage and were greeted by 110 filthy, bald, hungry, empty looking children, like, like, like walking into a concentration camp for children. Mm, Yeah. I couldn't believe my eyes. And so we had dinner with them. They served us chicken and they served the children rice with some sugar in it. So they would eat it. Just no protein at all. And then we had a beautiful, Hindu prayer service with them. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying with them thinking, is God going to hear us? No, is God going to hear these 110 singing children praying to him? Mm-hmm. And then after dinner, um, we started playing with the kids and we were calling them Velcro babies because they were just all over. They were just attached to us. We just have, you know, four or five or six kids just hanging on us. I mean, we're perfect strangers. We don't, we don't know them. And they're just all over. us, just, climbing all over us and so this little baby girl she was like one and a half she came and she put her head on my knee and i picked her up and i sang her a lullaby because i hadn't forgotten it for a second but it was mother's day and i'm at this orphanage and she falls asleep in my arms when you, when you pick them up they would just push their bodies into you and i rocked this little baby girl to sleep i sang her frere jaca what my mother used to sing to me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she falls asleep in my arms, urinates all over me, and I go walk in her room, and I walk into this room with these thirty wooden beds, like these picnic tables, these splintered picnic tables, and I put that orphan girl, that hungry orphan girl, on that bed. I, I mean, I heard her bones hit that bed, and I just, I broke. I just. Here I am. I've got everything. I've got these, I had this beautiful family, I had this beautiful life, you know, zip code lottery, Boudreaux, you know, and here they are and they don't have any protein, much less a parent to love them. And they're sleeping on these wooden beds. And I just thought right there and then it's like, God, let me be the one. Let me help them because if I don't, maybe no one ever will. And so I started the Miracle Foundation that very day, wow, that, that Mother's Day, 21 years ago. 21 years. That's wow. amazing. Did you move there yeah. at that time? Did you decide this is where you're going to, I mean, you, you set up, that was your new home at that point? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. I was like, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm I'm starting to feel myself lay on that wooden bench. I'm like, wow, this is, oh my gosh, this is crazy. (laughs) No, I, I, uh, we actually finished the trip. We got to September and, um, 
we just kind of looked at each other going, you know, even paradise gets old. You know, we let's, I wanted to go home and I wanted to get started on this job. I wanted to help those children and she wanted to get home and get married. And so that's what, cause she had left a guy in Austin. Um, and so, yeah, I got back to the United States in September. I filed the paperwork for a company called the Miracle Foundation because gosh, the human potential we were living on the, we're leaving, you know, on the table. I mean, there are these like these perfect little angel, anybody would want them. Anybody would just, they, they would be such a blessing to the world. And so um, I knew that they were miracles and I knew they needed a foundation. And I also kind of tongue in cheek, you know, I was like, I knew it was going to take a miracle to get the foundation <laughs> on the ground. I knew I was miracle dependent because I'm not a social worker. I'm not a mother. I'm not an Indian. I know nothing about anything. And here I am going to try to start a nonprofit to help orphan children around the world. So I knew it was going to take a miracle. Yeah, well, it looks like it's been very successful. It's been a wonderful journey for you. Um, were there any pitfalls along the way? Were there any uh, obstacles that you had to overcome in order to achieve this? Or was it smooth sailing from the get-go? Yeah, it was perfectly smooth sailing. There have been no issues <laughs> at all. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just been like, oh my gosh, just some incredible failures, you know, like really... You know, I mean, you've got bureaucracy, you've got this third world, this, you know, third world country you don't know anything about. Corruption is like crazy over there. So having to overcome all these obstacles, really, so many people in the beginning just told me I couldn't do it. One of the biggest obstacles to get over was the disbelief in other people. All the people that told me I was crazy, all the people that were just like, there's just no way, Caroline, you don't know anything about anything. How are you, you know, have you, I mean, how long were you how long were you in india you know you were there for three weeks you know what it's just like all these reasons that it was absolutely impossible was really one of the first things to to overcome and then of course you know not everybody that runs an orphanage is doing it for the right reasons mm -hmm. so learning that if people don't really have the same motivations i mean if, if you mean i mean not to get terrible but i mean if you're a pedophile what better mm -hmm. company for you to run Sure. You know, if yeah. you're if you're a you know if you're a shyster and you just want foreign money, what a great company to run. So I, you know, I've come across these really nefarious characters um, doing this work and really you know, having to look evil in the eye and figure out how are we going to deal with you know with evil. And so that's been terrible. And you know, I think the <clears throat> the biggest the biggest failure was. Um, you know, I put our eggs in one basket and I trusted this guy that we hired as an accountant. We hired him as our accountant to kind of do our books. And really, he was just amazing. He never charged us anything. He was this really great guy. He worked for us for three years. I started partnering with him and and, and um, built a few orphanages with him. We had 300 kids. Every single one of those kids had an individual sponsor. We worked so hard to make those sponsors love those children. They'd get videos, they'd get letters, you know, the whole kind of correspondence thing. In fact, it was such a successful program that we almost didn't really have to raise any extra money that the sponsorship money was was paying for the foundation. It was like this self-sustaining. I was very proud of that back then. But we knew we had something magical. We knew we were really doing a great job. And so the board um, asked me to hire someone to come in and do operations and operationalize what we were doing. And so I hired this lady to come in and she started asking all the right questions like, 
let me see your audits. Let me see your numbers. Let me see, you know, let me see, we, we built this orphanage together. Let me get the deed to the building. Let me get, you know, and we started really seeing that a lot of the money that we were sending over was going into this guy's pocket. Oh, wow. And wow. so, so, you know, I had these 300 people that were in love with these kids. I had the whole company wrapped around this one guy and we started realizing that the money wasn't going. And so we had to leave, we had to break from him. And so I had to call all 300 people that loved their children and separate them from the money. Then of course, not being able to be with the kids anymore. I mean, I knew these kids, I did the, I did the admission papers on these kids. I knew these kids like the back of my hand love these kids so much and having to separate from them because their guy, what, you know, their, their leader wasn't doing the right thing with the money. I mean, we gave him every opportunity to do the right thing. All he had to do was go through the audit, you know? And I was like, look, dude, it's okay. We can fix it. Just go through the audit and let us see the paper. And he just, he just wouldn't go through the audit. So um, back in 2010, we had to, we had to basically start our whole company over. It was, it was terrible. It was, it was just so, it was just so hard. Um, my, um, my priest told me it was my way of the cross to have to call all those donors and, and tell them. And that was incredible. You know, one guy, you know, our donors were just incredible. One of them was, this, you know, we had these, this couple and they, he had a boy and she had a girl and they were in Dallas and I was in Austin. We get on a three-way call and she's at work, he's at work. And, you know, I had to tell them that the money that they'd been spending was sending was not going. And, it, you know, a lot of it had gotten stolen. And so if they wanted a refund, we would give them a refund, but I wanted them to know. And, it was just kind of silence on the on the phone and and he he finally speaks up and he said you know we never liked those orphans anyway we would like new orphans please oh, <laughs> just like great great senses of humor and people you know like if you'd have told us that everything was perfect in india we wouldn't have believed you anyway so thanks for being <laughs> honest i'll just go ahead and double down let's just figure this out and so i mean we it, we we survived it and we came out stronger and we started supporting many 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 different orphanages with our program and so we ended up supporting like like 300 orphanages instead of just three wow that's so, amazing hey carolyn yeah whenever i uh think of orphanages of course annie comes to mind that's the movie i watched <laughs> as a kid and i'm looking around going i don't at least in lake charles i don't see you know three-story orphanages and kids and like how do in, in india how do so many kids find their way into that um and to an orphanage like how do they get what's the what's it like down there for them to get introduced to an orphanage and how how they progressed are they did they get adopted or are they, is it pretty much cared for by the foundation and, and, the, and the system that whole time how does that work uh down there yeah that's a really really good question it leads to our epic second epic failure um <laughs> but you know the the thing was you know a lot of people including us you know miracle foundation we started supporting orphanages and we thought we were doing a really good thing because we wanted to take care of kids we did this survey back in 2017 where we interviewed the children, where we did a survey with the children to find out how they were doing and what they thought. And we, they, they wanted to go home. Mm -hmm. You can make an orphanage as nice as you can, but they don't want to be there. They want to look like everybody else. They don't want to be taking the short bus to school. You know, they want to look like everybody else. They don't want to be in an orphanage. And what we were doing and we didn't know this unintended consequence was that when you boost up an orphanage, the locals look at that and think, God, those those kids are eating great meals three times a day. They have a computer lab for the love of God. I will never be able to give my kid a computer lab. I'm going to put my child in an orphanage. Wow. Wow. 
And so you end up with all of these children in orphanages that are not even orphans and they're just there. That's where the resources are. So the kids are going to go where the resources are. So if you're funding an orphanage, you can bet that's where, gonna, where kids are going to go. Now Miracle Foundation funds moms. Now we fund women to keep their kids. And our goal is to empty orphanages. Our goal is so that we don't have any orphanages. And, you know, that's what happened in the United States. John F. Kennedy's sister, Rosemary, was a, um, what had, um, I can't remember what her, her mental illness was, but she had a mental illness. And she ended up going into an institution. And her family, when, when they came into power, they just thought, this is not, you know, it was Eunice, it was her sister. And they said, you know, it's not good for people to live in institutions. And so that's when America went into the foster care system. We closed all our orphanages in the 60s and we start when we moved to the foster care system. Okay. And so that, while that's what you would think that other countries are doing because things have changed and we have a lot of technology now, we have this new thinking now, people aren't in the developing world aren't moving to the foster care system they're moving to the kinship care system and that is magic and truly working where instead of going to some stranger's family that might not even look like you i mean might not even be the same color as you or race or creed or religion or anything um go to their grandmother or their sister or their auntie there's somebody in that family that if given some support can take care of them and so that is what's happening in india and that's what we're bringing to the United States is this push for kinship care. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, Caroline, I have a question going back to, to kind of the, the early stages of this. What I, what I was taking from it and what I think is neat, sometimes God uh, puts opportunities in our lives or doors open. A, you decide to leave, like you said, the money train, like life's rolling good, the ease. You felt like something within your heart to hop out there and go on the trip around, sell the stock, and then you get over there and you're three weeks, like you said, in India, and then I'm assuming he's pulling at your strings. You, you pray to him, talk to him. Can you talk about kind of maybe our listeners and a, a lot of stuff we talk about is when those doors open up, knowing when to walk through them, feeling that that was like one of your, I can just see it talking to you like a calling in life where you needed to be, some of that process that you went went through? Yeah. So of course there was a lot of prayer, a lot of begging, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know the, I'm Catholic, so I don't know the, the Bible very well, but, um, you know, there's this part in the Bible where it's like Jesus, God is roaming. He's looking around the earth for someone to do his will. And I just wanted to be that person. I just was, I just wanted God to see me just waving my hands. Like I will do your will. I pick me. You know, I mean, you've given me everything. I don't know. I don't know what somebody has to be given before they'll turn around and give back. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so, um, and then while I, while I doubted I could do it. I mean, it's not that I had so much confidence that I thought I could do it. I just thought I'm going to do something every single day toward this goal. I am going to, I'm going to do something every single day to grow this company in an effort to help children that, that need me. And um, it just started snowballing. So it was a daily, uh, a, a daily effort. And then I remember, you know, I did end up having to get a job. Uh, um, but um, I just, I, I ended, I got a job in 2002 just to kind of pay some bills and get, you know, start paying some bills. And, and then in 2004, I, I just thought, okay, here I am. I'm going to go full time. I'm going to take that leap and I'm going to quit my, cor you know, this second corporate job and, and really just go for this. And so it was, you know, these leaps of faith, I think right. yeah. 
are really, really hard. And there was a couple of times where I just kind of felt like Tarzan, you know, Tarzan's not going to be able to swing if he's holding on to both vines. I mean, some, you got to let go of the vine. <laughs> you got to let go of one side to be able to get a full swing. And I really have felt a few times that it's just time to really just let go of something. Yeah, I think that's so cool. The courage, perseverance, because you do, you have the doubt, second guessing. But to be able to do that when you don't know a lot, but it's a a gut feeling, uh, a calling of sorts. I think that's truly inspiring. Personally, to me, just listen to the story. Thanks. Yeah, it was. And then the other thing that people downplay, they, they it's really not about the leader it's really about the followers Mm -hmm. you know the followers are the people that join you second they're really pretty courageous because they look pretty stupid you know those those first followers they look like you're back in that i mean like really (laughs) she doesn't know anything and so you know i remember i was so broke and i had this prayer group i mean it was just like broke 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 and i remember i was in this i was in the shower and i was i was praying i was like you know god i don't have to do this you know, I can go back and get a job. I mean, I don't, I don't have to do this. You have to show up with something or I, I'm not going to be able to complete. So I'm just going to leave it in your hands, but I will go. You know, it's like I'm threatening him. I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I will go get, a, you know, another job and just kind of blow this thing off. And I went to the, I went to the, um, I went to my prayer meeting that night and this friend of mine comes up to me and she hands me a check for $10,000. Wow. And she said, this is, this is for you. Don't send it to India. Just, just make it happen, Carolyn. Don't pay your bills. Make it happen. And, and that was, I mean, that was just in due season. I'm telling you because it, it, it was. I was like two weeks away from not being able to pay my mortgage. So, those kind of things. Those followers. So that's the other thing. It's like when we're prompted to do something, not prompted to lead, not prompted to be entrepreneurial, but prompted to help a, a leader or an entrepreneur. I think that's really important too. You know, I know, I know some of the orphanages that we supported were run by nuns. And I mean, they just couldn't believe that somebody was coming behind them. They couldn't believe that someone was going to support them finally after all these years. So it's just important. It's just as important sometimes to be the follower, be the backer of a leader than it is to be the leader. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. You know, I, I'm from a big Catholic family also. I'm one of 11. I'm the fifth. So whenever you started giving that example of the Velcro babies, that's pretty much what my mom looked like for uh, about 15 years. <laughs> uh, she had several of us attached to her at all times. So that's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another fact uh, about the podcast we were talking about yesterday, um, the highest downloaded area outside of the U.S. is in India. And you had a little bit of insight that you were sharing with me. Would you like to go ahead and uh, share that with the other bros that I have not told them about it yet? Oh, wow. Oh, just, you know, India and America, we're sister countries. I mean, we really have the same kind of culture. You would not believe how well a Cajun girl fits in India. I mean, they're they're these huge families. They they love everybody. They're very very inclusive, and uh, they have this beautiful command of the English language, better than Americans, by the way. I mean, their English is so amazing. <laughs> they, have, they have they have commanded this English language because the British were there for so long. And so there's this real interesting, easy camaraderie. And they speak a lot of different languages, but what they don't know is they don't know how much English they throw in there. They, they throw out these English verbs. So, so many of them think I speak Hindi because they're, they're like speaking, they've got like verbs coming out of their mouth that are English. And I just kind of can follow it because they don't even know they're speaking 
English, I call it. But uh, yeah, there's a real camaraderie between India and the United States and really, really always has been, as opposed to India and Britain, because, you know, Britain colonized them. Mm. And so they don't really love Britain sometimes so much, but they, they just love America and the, and the entrepreneurial spirit. India is also, I mean, I mean, so entrepreneurial. It's such a great, uh, it's such a great place for you to just kind of create your own company there, which is why a lot of, so many of our children are successful today, you know, so because they're entrepreneurs. That's awesome. Carolyn, you mentioned earlier uh, when you were discerning what you wanted to do with your life, you mentioned nature versus nurture. I think a lot of what we do in our podcast is try to inspire people and motivate them. And a lot of times we use stories of our life where we had major failures or, or life-turning events. I quote Tony Robbins, a buddy of mine, they pick on me. <laughs> it's Great cool. Hey, whatever it takes to kind of, you know, have somebody tell you something you can't tell yourself. And, and, and working with these children and, and then the people with the foundation, is there any examples or stories you can think of where maybe there was a child who just by having the presence of someone who loved them and gave them the support, I mean, that one sentinel moment totally changed their outlook on life or their direction in life or any, any stories. I just find that so motivating, inspiring to, to hear those examples. Well, yeah, you know, so I told you we left those 300 children, you know, so it's such a painful, painful thing to do. But thanks to social media, a lot of them have found us. Wow. And they've WhatsApped me or they've told me, you know, it's like, I know, I, you know, um, so one, one of them in particular contacted me and said, you know, do you, do you remember me? And I was like, oh, my gosh, well, of course I remember you. You were just a leader. You were such a smart guy. Oh, my gosh, it's, it's so nice to to see you. And so I told him the next time I, I go to India, I'll, I'll let you know where I am and I'll pay for you to come see me. And so I did. And he he looked at me and he said, um, where did you go, auntie? You know what what happened why did you leave us and i said um what do you think happened you know what what did you hear and he said i heard that that they were stealing your money and i said yeah that's that's what happened and he goes you did the right thing he said you did the right thing this little kid <laughs> and so fortunately so you know we started talking he said you know i've always wanted to be an engineer you know, I don't know, you know, if y'all have a scholarship program or what, but I, we totally have a scholarship program. And so he has just graduated from engineering, this little guy. So, wow. I mean, yeah, I That's mean, he awesome. graduated, um, he got a, he got a job just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, so that, and then other, uh, you know, others of them, um, you know, Shivani Das, the little girl that put her head on my knee. I mean, I'm still in contact with that little girl. She's in nursing school today. She thinks she's famous across the United States. <laughs> <laughs> So she's awesome. And so these, these, you know, when we talk about these 15,000 children that are in our program, you know, we're talking about these 15,000 true, true lives, you know, real people. And I think that's one of the biggest changes that I think we need to make as a human, as, as human beings. Um, I call them OPCs. When we start treating other people's children, OPCs, like we treat our own, mm -hmm. we will have a different world. But as long as we say, you know, oh, foster care is fine for them or orphan care is just fine for them, but I would never let my kid go. And, you know, until we realize that all children are ours, you know, until we realize that we are the father, like God wanted us to be, we are the father and the mothers to these kids. Um, we're going to, we're going to keep having these problems, but until we start treating other people's children, like we treat our own, we're stuck. Um, and it's not hard, you know, they're lovely, they're wonderful. Who doesn't want to take care of a kid? <laughs> yeah. What a great investment. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I see a lot of, and listen to this and I wrote it down early on, is 
you know, I really feel like yourself, and I'm guessing through the mission of what y'all do, you see God in all. I'm a big believer in, you know, we're all made in God's image and likeness, and you can see God in all, and the human spirit is really an awe-inspiring thing when you think about it. Can you maybe touch on some of that, um, the human spirit within, or seeing God in all, uh, you know, every, everyone that y'all come across, there's doesn't seem to be any type of judgmental help, etc. I actually think at some level we're all orphans, you know, and we need each other. We need them as much as they need us. We are just too stupid to know it. (laughs) they, they, They know they need us, but we don't know that we really need them. You know, and it goes back to, I told you, you know, I had everything that money can buy, but what, what, what you want is you want everything money can't buy. That's what you really want. You want peace and you want contentment and you want fulfillment. And none of those things happen on the money tree. You know, we're all at the money tree and none of those things happen. We all really want three things. We want to love and be loved. We want our families to be healthy, happy and taken care of. And we want our lives to make a difference. And, and those are the things that, that money can't buy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Beautiful. You know, listening to your story and reading about uh, the work that y'all are doing online uh, reminded me of a popular Christian uh, song um, by Matthew West called Do Something. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Mm-mm. but the way that the, the song goes is it talks about, you know, seeing pain in the world, seeing orphans, seeing other things like that and uh, crying out, God, where are you? What are you doing? And, uh, you know, finally in the in the song, the the answer is uh, God created you, me, all of us to do something along the line to help each other. And I think you've been, uh, you know, an ec- excellent person following that path and, and, and doing that in your own life. Thank you. You know, I, I'll tell you just one, one little kind of anecdote that, that I forget to tell. But I remember um, that very first night, you know, I put, I put Shibani on that wooden bed. And my friend Chris that I was traveling with, she had um, she had lost her mom the year before. That's where she had the money. That's why she had the money to do this trip because her mom had died. Mm. And so we get back to the hotel that night and I am just haunted. I mean, haunted. Up all night, really upset, crying like crazy. And uh, she said, well, you know, Caroline, we'll, we'll go back tomorrow. And I said, oh no, Chris, I am never going back there. That was... I am never going back there. She said, do you realize how lucky we are to be the givers? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, that has just really stuck with me. We're so lucky to be the givers. We are so lucky. And I think sometimes we forget that we're so lucky that we get to be the ones giving because the dignity of giving is really just so powerful. And we forget that. And if we treated our health, the way we treat philanthropy and giving back to the world, we would all be almost dead because we think about it. Maybe, you know, come December 15th, we start thinking about it because of our taxes, but we got to start thinking about other people and thinking about our philanthropy every single week. You know, if you want to help an organization, give to them every month. That's how you really, that is how you truly help an organization like Miracle Foundation because you give, you, you, you give every month and we start being able to count on that money and we start being able to budget. Right. And that, yeah. I mean, that's where 
that's like this corporate thing, you know, this nonprofit thing. It was like, wait, where's the, where's the money? <laughs> yeah. Hey, and Kara, so, um, so we're so lucky to be the givers along those lines, Carolyn, just if, as people are listening, where can they reach out? Where can they go online to learn more about your mission, your foundation, how they can participate and give, uh, to help support this cause? Yeah, they can, they can go to miraclefoundation.org and, and join the movement. Um, we'd, we'd love their help. I mean, a lot of people have family foundations and they can give to us that way. And then like what you guys are doing, like helping us spread the word. I mean, that goes a long, long way. So if, if any of your listeners know another podcast or know a way that we can get this message out, we would really appreciate that as well. Awesome. Thanks for asking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And we encourage all our listeners to please go to that website and do everything you can to help them. Because like she said, to be, to be a giver is a true blessing and privilege. And I mean, that story about you, that girl just laying on your, your chest and just wanting your love at that moment. She just wanted to feel connected to another human being that, that showed love. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, that, that was, that was you know, touching. I would second that too. Um, just sitting here visiting the passion that I can see. This is not like a fly by night thing that Caroline and I'm assuming the people who are with you, because I, normally the, the people who are helping you along the way are, are cut from the same cloth is really second to none. So I personally, when I support something or do something, I want to have a connection to it and somebody who's putting a foot forward. So I, I would commend what y'all are doing and, and second what Craig's saying, because you're supporting something that truly is your passion in life and, and one of your callings, which I think is really neat. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's been 21 years. It's, you have 21 years this year. That's it's amazing. Wild. That's crazy. <laughs> well, look, Caroline, at the end of the little uh, show here, we like to ask all of our guests one of our uh, favorite questions and really the model after what the podcast is here. And that is, who or what is driving your car? That can be proverbial for, is that God, free will, um, the pandemic? Down here we have storms, weather um spouse anything like that what comes to mind when we ask you uh who or what's driving your car that that's a good question you know i i like to be god's co-pilot sometimes i take the reins you know it's like <laughs> i got that i don't you know don't worry i got it you know but but uh yeah he i i really um uh, i really do try to let god uh drive the car because he ends up taking me into incredible areas that and it, you know, it's a lot of trust because sometimes I don't think he knows his way and he is one slow guy. <laughs> <laughs> but <sighs> yeah, he's the God of the midnight hour, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think, I think he, he drives my car still. I have one other follow-up to that too. You seem to have a very good relationship with the Lord. Uh, you know, hey, threatening him a little bit here and there, <laughs> yeah. as you mentioned, uh, conversing with him a lot. Can you maybe talk about um, some people? I think find it that God is there, but struggling to develop a rapport or a relationship with God. You just in listening to you, I'm hope I'm not overstepping a bound by asking you, but can you maybe speak about your relationship with God and how that's grown and developed because He has. And you seem ever so appreciative of it being in his time and the doors that he opens up for you in life. Can you maybe tell our listeners who are who struggle with that maybe or at a place in their life, oh man, I don't know what God's asking me to do. You know, uh, give a, a tip or two about that. Sure. I So I learned how to pray from a woman named Jennifer Hatmaker. 
She's a she has a podcast. She's really famous now. Uh, but I, y'all, do y'all know Jennifer Hatmaker? Uh, no. Oh, she's she's incredible. What a cool so name. She taught she taught me how to pray, okay. and I it was just like I never really learned. I mean, it was always hail marys, rosaries, like that kind of stuff. But what she taught me is you go to the Bible, and the Bible's kind of chunked out, and you just read one little passage a day, and you write what it means to you and what it means what it means and then what it means to you. And, you know, I've done that exercise a lot over the years, um, over the, the, you know, 20, 25 years ago that I, I learned that. And I mean, that really is how I pray. And I just get a lot of, of lessons from how he dealt with, you know, how God dealt with, with other people, you know, like, like Moses, you know, when he told, when God told Moses to go save the Israelites, he didn't want to do that. I mean, he, he gave a million <laughs> reasons why he couldn't do that. He just had all these reasons. Like I did, I had all these, I'm not of this, I'm not of that. Moses did the same thing. And you know, it's God's like, you know, I didn't ask you what you were. I just told you what to do. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I started praying that way a long time ago and it's really just worked for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Okay, um, do you have anything you want to add? Any other questions, comments? Anything no, else we need to hit? I appreciate your time. I appreciate y'all's, y'all's letting me come on here. I really appreciate that. Thank no, you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Well, look, Caroline, we appreciate you coming on today with us. Very motivating and, and inspiring as uh, I kind of was, was thinking we were going down that way, and I would implore all our listeners to go check out the Miracle Foundation, and if you can find it within yourself to – to help donate and carry on their mission. I think that would be an awesome thing. And, uh, you know, I would also implore if you're working on something like Caroline was and starting to every day do a little something toward that goal. Uh, and you, and you never know what doors the Lord will open for you along the way. So thank you for coming on Caroline. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, look, we've uh, enjoyed the ride and until next time, we'll catch y'all later. I. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing. Sun is shining. Nothing more I Sing with me